back last year, this month, the first Sunday of, of last year, we begin a journey through the books, book of Acts, and today we, we will close it out, uh, our, our teaching through this, this beautiful and great book. Um, as we do this morning, I, I do want to let you know what's, what's coming up. Next Sunday, we're beginning a new series entitled Table Talk. Uh, it'll take us uh, through 13 weeks of uh, the book of James. And I'm very excited about this. Me and uh, a couple of the other pastors on staff here are going to be uh, walking through James with you. And I uh, want to encourage you to, to be here and, and, and be a part of that series. Um, as we close Acts today, though, um, I, I want to share with you a, a celebrated biography uh, as we begin. I heard this this week and uh, thought, man, this, this is a good way to start today. But Solomon Grundy, born on Monday, christened on Tuesday, married on Wednesday. He took ill on Thursday and grew worse on Friday. He died on Saturday and was buried on Sunday. That was the end of Solomon Grundy. Now, for some people, that sums up life. That's life. And yet, all of us feel deep down, there's got to be more. There's got to be more than just, we're born, show up to work, show up to church, do the thing on Sunday, and then one day, that's it. There's got to be more than just the living and dying. There's got to be more to life. And Jesus says, yes, there is. The Bible tells us, you betcha there is. There's more to life. And God has called us to more than just the mundane and just the simplicity that I just read about. There's more to life, and the book of Acts has pointed to that. And so here's what I want to do this morning. I want you to turn to Acts 29, all right, Acts 29. And as you're doing that this morning, as you uh, try to find Acts 29, let me know if you get there. You getting there? Raise your hand, first one there, first one there. Gosh, you're slow. Good night, come on. You can't find it, can you? All right, well, good. There is no Acts 29, <laughs> Stay there in Acts 28, you're safe, all right. But I want you to know today that Acts 28 ends. It ends with a continuation of the gospel mission in mind. It's the record of Paul's journey, and it's reached its end here as we see in Acts. But in his end is our beginning. You see, really, at the end of verse 31 in Acts 28 is, is not a period. It, it should be a dot, dot, dot. And the next chapter is in this room. It's you and I. You and I are, are literally writing out, living out, under God's providence, under the Father's sovereignty, Acts 29. We're doing that. That's the, our calling. And so as we wrap up this letter today, I want us to remember that. That, that, that what we have seen begin and continue and, and just the growth of the church and as the church is marching on, as we're going to see today, the church is in Rome, and, and as we see this today, man, it doesn't stop. It continues on and it has for centuries and it still continues today. And it's in and through us. 
that the Holy Spirit is wanting to work and live out the kingdom of God and the gospel mission. And so today, what's in that chapter? What's in Acts 29? And I think what I would like to do today is encourage us from what we see about Paul in these closing verses to say, hey, this is what should be written out for you and I. And pray that it would be encouraging. Pray that we would be challenged to do so. So the first thing I want us to see in verse 16, Paul is in Rome, right? He made it. He so wanted to get to Rome. He desired to get to Rome. It was part of God's providence and God's sovereignty that he get there. But look at verse 16. When he entered Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who was guarding him. And so where's Paul been? Paul has been in the barracks in Jerusalem. He's been beaten. He's had uh, over and over lashes against his back, as we saw last week. Uh, he's been on the sea. He's been on the land. Uh, one recorded, if you, if you took Paul's travels of his journeys, it would have equated to 13,400 air miles. And so he would have got some great points, right? Um, but Paul journeyed through the sea, and he finally gets to Rome. And when he's in Rome, he has this centurion Roman guard with him. But it's kind of like a house arrest that he's going to be involved in. He's going to eventually stay in some rented quarters for over two years in Rome. And so in Rome, he arrives, and he has this gentleman guarding him. And then look at verse 17. It says, after three days. I love that. Because what that tells us is this. The journey was hard. Paul needs some rest. I mean, do you ever feel like that? Some of y'all are going to feel like that about, you know, about 11, 15, 11, 30. You're going to feel like, hopefully not because of the sermon, right? <laughs> but because just, hey, you know, the, the week is beginning. Maybe it's been a long weekend. Maybe it's been, last week was long or whatever, and, and, and you're going to go home and get some rest. And I love Paul here. He's going to get some rest from his journey. It's been a hard journey. Rest is important. Sabbath is, is important. Taking that time to, to meet with the Lord, to get refreshed, is vital. To be renewed, to be restored. And we need daily experiences of that, but we also sometimes need a day, need a couple of days. And I believe what's probably happening these three days is he's letting God just kind of refresh him from his journey before he begins here in Rome. And as he does begin, here's where I want to give you some points today. The first point I want to give you today is um, we're going to see Paul, and we talked about this last week, but we're going to see Christ-exalting risk, I believe, continue. We're going to see it continue. And so some points I wanted to give last week, I'm going to throw at you this week a little bit. So we see Christ-exalting risks continue. And how do we see that? Well, one, I'm going to imply it to you. The other one we see in this, this text. But the first one I want to tell you this deals with money. And you might be saying, hold the boat. I heard nothing about money. Heard nothing about money. All right? First time at the Ridge, welcome. All right? I'll tell you a little bit about money this morning. Okay? Why is Paul on his journey? Why did he go to Jerusalem? You think about it, what was he taking with him? He was, he was taking a gift that churches had gathered together, financial gift, given it to Paul, and Paul was to take it to the poor believers in Jerusalem to help sustain them. 
And that, that's why he was, was going. You think about the generosity of the believers that came together, that gave this gift to Paul to take to the churches. That was one of the reasons he was going. Obviously, he was going to share the gospel, to strengthen the church. But that's why he was going to Jerusalem, and that's what eventually will lead him to Rome. God will take him there by his providence. But, but he was taking this gift. And I wanted to share this last week, so I thought I would do it this week since I didn't for your sake, and you're good last week. But I wanted to, to share with you, sometimes we're called to take risk with our money. Now, when I say that, some will say, whoa, hold the boat. I don't mean foolishness, right? But I mean risk, and here's what I mean by risk with our money. And I think the believers, when we read like 2 Corinthians 8 and 2 Corinthians 9, hear what they did. They lived on less. And today, that's risky. It's different, totally different, totally opposite of culture and the society we live in. They lived on less, got rid of excess, and they gave. They gave more, they gave more. They gave more than, than, than they thought they maybe could, but they gave more. And here's the spirit of that. In Luke, 21, listen to what Jesus said in verse 1 through 4. He says, Jesus looked up. He saw the rich putting their gifts in to the treasury. But then he saw this woman, this poor woman, putting in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all of them. For they all have out of their surplus put in the offering. But she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. And so I imagine this gift that Paul is taking that was the spirit of many, that they freed themselves up from excess, from more, and they gave. So here's what I want to encourage you this morning. One of the things that I think we see in the New Testament is we see a people that lived sacrificially after they came to Christ. And one of the ways they did that was with what they had, with their money, their resources, and, and they gave. And so here's what I want to encourage you this morning. I want to encourage you to take a risk with your money this morning. And here's how you do that. You live on less, and you give more. You give more. And a good place to start is to tithe. Tithe means 10%. I had a guy recently that I've been discipling here, and he, he asked me, he says, so, so what am I supposed to do with my income when I get it in? What's the first thing I'm supposed to do? He said, what's that percentage? And I said, well, tithe means 10%. I'm not a big guy on percentages, so don't get me uh, knocked down on that. But a good place to start that we see in the Old Testament, I think, is the tithe is to start there and to take it off the top. And here's what I would tell you to Take that risk and you're gonna find it to be a great joy and a blessing. And that's what many people did as they gave to the churches to help them in Jerusalem, these poor saints. And that's what Paul took to them. And so they were risky with their resources. Um, but it exalted Christ. And so here's the second risk I want you to see this morning. And this is in the actual text that we see today. Look at verse 17. So Paul is in Rome, and after three days, what happens? In verse 17, Paul called together those who were the leading men of the Jews, and when they came together, he began saying to them, brethren, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of 
the Romans. And so Paul rests, and then what does he do? He calls the Jewish leaders together. Now, how many in here, after hearing what we saw in Acts 21 up till this point, would say, Paul, that's a great idea. Way to go, man. You know, human wisdom and thinking, we would think, what in the world? Those are the last people, Paul, you want to call attention to and invite to meet with you, right? You would think, hey, just lay low with some kind of, uh, uh, you know, non-public Jews, you know, just kind of, but these guys are the leading Jews. And Paul says, I want, I want a meeting. And he gets them together. And so what, here's what I want to hear, I want you to hear second this morning about Christ's exalting risk, is that you and I are called to love hard people. Love is not easy, Matthew 5. We're called to, to love enemies. Not simply love those who love us, but to love hard people, to love hard people. Uh, sometimes that may mean begin loving, loving you. Great song by Andrew Peterson. By the way, he's like the, the rich Mullins of this millennium. He has a great song. It says, love your enemy. And the, the whole idea of the song is, to middle school and high school students, college students, and those who struggle with, with self, with who they are, their identity. And he says, hey, start loving who God made you to be. Start valuing yourself and your worth. So some, some of you in here, that may be, hey, love who, who God made you to be. But he has called us to love hard people too. Um, that may be a family member, right? That may be an in-law, I don't know. That just seems the thing to say sometimes. <laughs> we talk about loving hard people. Some of us, though, have great relationships with our in-laws. But sometimes it's family. Sometimes it's a neighbor. Sometimes it's somebody at work. And Paul takes the initiative here, and he goes straight to probably loving some hard people, some risky people, we would think. And so he gets them together in verse 17. He says, hey, first of all, I, I want to tell you two things. He's going to get to the gospel in just a bit. But he says, let me tell you why I'm here, why, I'm, why I'm, I'm in Rome, and how I got here. And so the first thing he says is, is, first and foremost, I want you to know I did nothing against the customs of Judaism. I did nothing against Jews. And so he tells them that first. And then look at verse 18. He tells them this. He says to them, and when they had examined me in Jerusalem, they were willing to release me because there was no ground for putting me to death. And so I had done nothing that made the Roman authorities in Judea, in Jerusalem, believe that I should be put to death. Instead, I was innocent. And then look at verse 19. He says, but when the Jews objected, so the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem objected to what Rome wanted to do with me, I was forced to appeal to Caesar. Not that I had any accusation against my nation. And so he appeals to Caesar when in Jerusalem, we remember that, because the Jews in Judea challenge the Romans' verdict. Not because Paul had any grievance against the Jews whatsoever. And then look at verse 20. For this reason, therefore, I requested to see you. Wow. I requested to see you, to speak with you. For I am wearing this chain. For the sake of the hope of Israel. That's an amazing verse. Paul's saying, I'm here in this place for you. And for the hope 
of the sake of Israel. It's a huge statement because what it means, as Paul is saying, is that all of God's promises is for this moment right here. All that God said to Abraham in Genesis 12, all that that God said through the prophets and on the promises that he made to the Israelites. That's why I'm here. I'm in these chains, I'm suffering, and I'm next to this guard because of the hope of Israel. To tell you about your deliverer, the Messiah, to tell you about your deliverance and your salvation. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm here in Rome. And listen to how they respond. Look at verse 21, their response to Paul. They said to him, we have neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren come here and reported or spoken anything bad about you, Paul, but we desire to hear from you what your views are for concerning this sect, talking about um, the way or Christianity. It is known to us that it is spoken against everywhere. So what do we see about these Jews? They seem to be ignorant about Paul and specifically about what he's talking about that happened in Jerusalem. Word hasn't seemed to, to, to gotten to them, no letters or anything, but they have heard about what? They've heard about Christ. They've heard about Christianity. And they understand and realize that many are against Christianity. And so listen to how they respond to him. But, but before we do, I, I want us to think about something. When we close up this, this idea of risk, think about this. When we take Christ-exalting risk, not foolish risk, but when we take Christ-exalting risk, here's what I've seen when I read my Bible and in real life, is that God opens up opportunities. He does. Fruit comes. I've seen it. We see it here. You think about this. The gifts of the church coming together. They're risking their money. Uh, they're, they're giving more. And they're giving. Paul takes it. Man, it, there's fruit all over the place in Paul's ministry. It's the fruit of their giving, but it's also the fruit of the faithfulness of the apostle Paul as he risks his own life to share the gospel. As he loves hard people, what is he going to do? God's going to open up opportunities. This, this past Friday, I got to hang out with some really cool adults, college students, high school students, uh, a part of a, a new ministry that just launched in, in the colony called Wildlife. It ministers to middle school students. And, and we just planted ourselves right uh, next to one of the middle schools and doing, doing a, what's called club. Um, and club is just a wild, fun, in-your-face time for middle school kids. And they get to hear during that time about a five- to eight-minute message about who Jesus is. And, and, and it launched this Friday, right after school. And right after school, we, we, we just went out and just told kids, hey, come on, come on. They knew about it for over two weeks now. And so many of them were like, we're coming. And so and it was like, I don't know how many hundred, 200 kids got pizza, got to eat, play games. And I don't know, it, just, it, was, it was a fun night, but this was cool. The whole time I'm sitting there thinking, man, God, I don't know what's going to happen here. This is, this is risky. This is risky, but it's, it's worth it. And all of a sudden, there's this guy that walks by me. He's, he's this gentleman. He's probably in his 30s, maybe 40. 
and he's going against the stream of students that were coming across to the rec center. He's going against the stream, and I just turned and looked at him and said, hey, man, what's up? And he's like, nothing. He's like, what are you, what are you doing? You know, because, I mean, it's not adult hangout time. It's, it's kid hangout time, right? And so, you know, adults are in cars waiting to pick up ki- kids, you know, so this is not the area where usually adults are kind of hanging out. So he's like, so what are you doing? I'm like, well, I'm, you know, we're doing this thing over here, and uh, told him about it. I said, hey, we're going to play games. We're going to tell kids about who Christ is, and um, he said, really? And I said, yeah. He goes, well, I have a daughter over here at the school, and I'd love for her to come next time. We've got to go, and we've got something tonight, but I'd love for her to come next time. And he said, because we really need that. And I said, really? I, I said, why? Why do you say that? He said, well, I'm going through a divorce right now. And he said, we, we really need some encouragement, and we could really need that. And I just, as I'm studying last night this text, I started thinking, when we take risk, when we do things outside of our comfort zone, like talking to middle school students, that's pretty risky. Right, Eli? Right, Wes? That's pretty risky. It is. Even in your own home sometimes, that can be risky. Um, sometimes I walk into my son's room and I'm like, oh, dude, why did I come in here? Because of the smell. And sometimes he thinks it's a good smell. He's got this old spice smell. And I'm like, dude, that's like old man's smell. It's like come back and now middle school kids wear it. I don't get that. I don't get that. Somebody, (laughs) let's get rid of that, man. Uh, But we (laughs) we take risk. We take risk. Christ-exalting risks and, and opportunities come. Ones that will surprise us, will surprise us. And that's God's providence, how he, he works and how he uses us as we trust him. Because that's really what Christ-exalting risks are, right? It's, it's trusting Christ and obeying him and going against the grain of culture and the world and just following him. So look what opportunities come from Paul. As, as he's willing to step out here, he's loving some hard people And look what happens in the next section. Look at verse 23. What we're going to see here is is the gospel and its results, its effects, this opportunity to share the gospel. Look what he does. Paul had a day to share with them. Um, It says he set a day, or go to verse 23, I'm sorry. It says, when they had set a day for Paul, they came to him at his lodging in large numbers. And he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets from morning until evening. And so Paul and the Jews get together. They, they get their calendars. They get their iPhones down. They're like, hey, let's set a day. Let's set a day. They set this day, and they're like, okay, from, from morning to evening, we're going to gather, and we're going to sit, and we're going to talk. And what does Paul do? He shares with them about the kingdom of God. And so what is, what is the kingdom of God? What might he have shared on that day? Here's what I believe he simply shared, a um, little bit longer than what I'm going to say, but, but I think simply he, he talked to them about God graciously, graciously breaking through human history to come and bring his rule here to earth. That's the kingdom of God. That God graciously comes in all mercy and love to bring his rule here to earth. But here's what he told the Jews. Hey, quit looking out there and waiting for this. He told them, it's here. 
The kingdom of God is here. It is present. It is present. You see, they didn't see that. They didn't get that because they were still looking for this political ruler and leader to come and, and set up the kingdom of God through um, power here on earth. But he's like, no, 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 no. Christ is God's son. He has come and he reigns in heaven and he rules heaven and earth even now. And he shared that message and then he told them about Jesus. He told them about Jesus. He told them about facts about Christ. Surely he told them about his birth and about his life, his miracles. Surely he told them about his, his death and his resurrection, his ascension and exaltation. Now he's at the right hand of God. Surely he told him about the coming of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit has come and now lives and resides in those who believe in Jesus Christ. And so he shared about Christ. And as he's sharing about Jesus, it's coming up against something. It's coming up against a mentality that many deal with. The Jews dealt with it this way because their belief was we follow a certain set of laws. And as we follow these laws, that's how we can have a relationship with God. And, and, and when we mess up, we can take a, a, the blood of a lamb or a goat and have our sins forgiven once a year. And that's kind of how they roll. That's what they thought. It's like, hey, I gotta be this good, not this bad, but this good, and that's it. And how many in our world think about this? It's, it's kind of like this, it's a ladder mentality where we think, oh, man, if I could just be this good, if I could just keep being this good, wait, oh, I messed up today. All right, well, if I can just be good about two more times, man, I'm good. I'll cover that sin I just made, right? If Man, I just, I had a rough week. I okay, so, man, I need to go to church this week. And so we just kind of have this ladder mentality. And that's the religions of the world, right? That's what the religions of the world think. They think, I just got to be good enough and, and not that bad so that I can get to God or have this relationship with God. But here's what the gospel says. And here's what, Paul is communicating on this day to the Jews. And here's what I want you to hear today, is that the gospel in Jesus is this. That's the gospel. There's no ladder. There is no ladder. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. On the cross, he takes the sin of the world. Every sin that you've ever made, he bears it on the cross. He becomes sin on our behalf. He deals with sin. He, he dies for sin so that our sin can be forgiven. And so he becomes sin on the cross. And then it says, he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf so that we could become something. We could become the righteousness of God in him. You can't make yourself good enough before God. Your friend at work can't make him or herself good enough before God. Your buddy at school cannot make himself good enough before God. We can't. Only Jesus can make us right before a holy God. 
And that's what he does. When he dies on the cross for you and I, he takes our place and he says, hey listen, here's a free gift. It's called the righteousness of God. And that's how you can be right before God. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not of yourself, but it is a gift of God. He freely gives it to us. And that's what the world needs to hear. The world needs to simply hear, this is Jesus, this is what he came to do. And that's what Paul unfolds before the Jews on this day. And he tells them, hey, there's no ladder mentality. Jesus takes the ladder away and he says, I want a relationship with you. Trust me, believe in me. It's the heart of the gospel. It's the heart of what Paul shared that day. And listen to what happens in verse 24 because some were convinced, some a little skeptical of this, a little uneasy on hearing this. And listen to what he says in verse 24. Some were being persuaded by the things spoken, but others would not believe. And that's what we have, right? We have that in this room. We have that in your place of work. We have that in your community. We have that in your schools. Some will be persuaded. Some will be skeptical. And then look what happens in verse 25. As a result of the division, listen to what Paul does. And so they're still hanging out in the house, but this is going to kind of end the party because look what he says in verse 25. When they did not agree with one another, they began leaving. After Paul had spoken one parting word, the Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah the prophet to your fathers. And listen to what Paul says because this is kind of kind of close things out. He says, go to this people and say, you will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull, and with their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return. And I would heal them. Paul shares a parting word with them from the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 6-9. And what he does this day is he doesn't just share this to share it in the room and just to kind of put a closing and tie a bow on, on the day, but he does this to communicate what's going on in hearts in that room. Because that's a beautiful picture, that's a great picture, both of judgment, but also one of mercy and love of what happens in the hearts of humanity. Some, when they hear the truth, when they hear that, hey, Jesus takes the ladder away, and he says, listen, I grant you, I give to you freely, by the grace of God, a relationship with me. Simply believe in me. Some hear that, they harden their hearts to that, they close their eyes to that, they close their ears to that, and they'll have nothing to do with it. But then there's others they see and, and, and they hear, and that's the beautiful mystery and the beautiful miracle and the power of the gospel. And Christ comes and he lets us see and he begins to open our ears and we start to hear and we start to understand and perceive truly, yes, that's it. That's the answer to my soul. That's the answer. I don't want to be like Solomon Grundy. I want more than that. And that's what Jesus came for. And their life is changed. And in that room that day, they walk out. And it tells us in verse 28, 
that as they heard this message about salvation, some walked out and disputed what Paul said, but some believed. Some believed. And listen to what verse 28 tells us. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will also listen. When he had spoken these words, the Jews departed, having a great dispute among themselves. And so Paul tells them this day, hey, listen, the Jews, all right, you've heard it. Some of you are hard to it. Some are going to receive it that day. But I want you to know that through your rejection of the gospel, it is now going to become an opportunity for the Gentiles to believe. And they will listen and hear. When you think about in this room today, this is something said over 2,000 years ago, and here we sit today, and we're fruit of that. We're fruit of that. What was first taken to the Jew, now to the Gentiles, that's you and I. And as a result, we have heard and known, and many in here today believe the gospel. But the gospel's divisive. As they leave the house that day, they hotly argue about the gospel. Some in the world believe that the gospel is foolishness, but to those who believe, it's the wisdom of God. And as we close today, I I just want this last point. It will be done, but simply this. Look what happens in these last two verses. Paul will continue on what he does on this day with the Jews. He will continue on for two more years. And I want you to hear what he does for two more years that again, that period is really a dot, dot, dot. And that you and I are to carry on what Paul has begun here in Acts. We're to carry that torch. And look what he says in verse 30 and 31. He stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all. Huge word there. That includes Gentiles. And they came to him. So this is kind of cool. Paul's kind of set up in his house. He's got this home ministry going on, right? And people are coming in and out. And what's he doing? Look at verse 31. Preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness and he's unhindered. Sometimes when I read texts like that, I think, oh, man. As the church often, we tell people, hey, come to this place where we meet at on Sunday, and that's where we'll preach and teach to you. (laughs) Paul said, hey, just come to my house, man. (laughs) Anytime, 24-7, I'll be here. And what did he do? He, he, He did exactly what he did in verse 23 with the Jews. He sat with them. He told them about the kingdom of God. He told them about Jesus openly, even though he might have had a chain on his hand. He didn't have a chain on his mouth. He shared the gospel even though he, he had to be closed up in, in this house, he, he wasn't unhindered of, of sharing, though, the word. Some believe he was even able to freely go here and there and, and had opportunities, but he was unhindered to share the gospel. I know of a girl locally in this community. She, she lives in, in Carrollton. And one of the things that I love, at, at her house, the gospel is closed. She has Muslim parents. The gospel closed, hindered. Here's what she said. At school, though, 
the one place I can read my Bible. So we usually think different, right? But she'll say this, at school, openness unhindered. That was Paul's situation. You see, we can always find reasons for change. and We can always point to things and say we're changed. We have freedom with the gospel. The change a lot of times is, is us. It's our willingness. You see, God wants us to take risks. That's what Paul did. That's what he was about. Unhindered. Free. You're free. You're unhindered to share the gospel. Nothing is stopping you. And that's what God wants us to do. That's the story of Acts. Here's what happened. Jesus said in Acts 1-8, when the power of God, the Holy Spirit, comes upon you, I want you to be my witnesses. Be the witnesses of Jesus. Where? Jerusalem. Check. Judea, Samaria. Check. Right? And the uttermost parts of the world. Paul would say, got that, check, because that was Rome. But here's what the Spirit of God's saying today. There's another chapter. There's another chapter. And though the acts of Paul that we read about in the apostles in Acts, they're finished in the writing, the writing continues. And the Holy Spirit that came on the apostles, the same Apostles that we read about in Acts, the apostle that we read about with the Apostle Paul, that same Holy Spirit is empowering you today who believe in Christ to go be witnesses of Christ in your Jerusalem, in your Judea and Samaria, that may be your place of work, and to the uttermost parts of the world, whether it's Trey in, in Serbia, whether it's other us that God might want to call whether it's to help out in France, whether it's to help out in Mexico, wherever it may be, but here's the deal. That same calling Paul had, we have it too. And so let's write Acts 29. Let's pray.